even this hour, even this hour qualifies for an hour that we need the Lord. So maybe you've been worshiping and, and, and with us this morning, and man, for the first time you realize that you need the Lord. I, I read a, a quote this week that said, you know, this coronavirus, uh, the one thing it's done, it's not, uh, it, 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 it's not that we, for the first time, need the Lord. It's help us realize we always need the Lord. So if you are right now recognizing your need for a Savior, you can pray this prayer, simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sin. I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for me on the cross and he was raised to life. You can call on the name of Jesus. He'll save you right now. Anytime you do that today in the service, I want you to text the name Jesus to 423-440-8555. Right now qualifies for an hour that we need the Lord. Well, I want to welcome you to worship. I'm so grateful that you've connected with us. This, we need your help. We need you to participate. We, we need you to, uh, to get the word out that we're about to get into the word. So share this online service with some friends. Take somebody, get them to jump on the live stream we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to read the text to get us started this morning. And that scripture will be on your screen here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, verse 11, and verse number 12. So let's read God's word together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gracious Father, we are so, Lord, just amazed that we can be in your presence even when we're not in one another's presence, and that's just because uh, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, you connect us. So thank you for that today. We pray that we would hear from you, that we would respond to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. This Sunday, I want to speak to you on the subject, the church has left the building. Throughout the history of the church, this truth in Matthew 10, 11, and 12, uh, this persecution has caused uh, churches to leave buildings, to worship in secret and worship in private. So whether it be persecution or whether it be some epidemic or pandemic or, 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 or natural disaster, whatever it might be, there have been times in history when the church has left the building. The church has left the building. Besides right now in this uh, uh, social distancing, sheltering in place, COVID-19, pandemic there's only been one other time in my ministry where this statement has rung true the church has left the building and that was august the 29th 2005 hurricane katrina 
uh, Tanya and I had been on the field in Bush, Louisiana at Hebron Baptist Church for two weeks. Our first Sunday at, at the church, as, as me serving as pastor, was August the 15th, 2005. That's two weeks before Katrina. You could say Tanya and I were baptized on the field in Bush by Hurricane uh, Katrina. And just before I arrived there, their former pastor had led them in a building campaign. They had run out of room in their, in their worship center, so they were about to build a brand new worship center. So when I came on the field, all the permits were in place, but construction on the actual property had yet to begin. And then Hurricane Katrina hit. Well, before the storm hit, one of the decisions everybody was trying to make was taking the old steeple from the old building and putting it on the new building. Like there were some in the church that wanted that to happen. There was others who didn't. One of the ladies, a godly lady who loves the Lord Jesus and serves him faithfully, wanted the old steeple on the new building because one of her family members built the steeple years ago. And so she really wanted it on there. That was a tough visit to make to her house, <laughs> to drive there and tell her, I'm so sorry, but the tornadoes associated with the hurricane, hurricane Katrina destroyed the steeple. I mean, it's gone along with much of our roof. We've had quite a bit of damage to our church building. And so uh, after Katrina, the church, literally, we had to leave the building. We had to go worship on one of our members' property for the next several weeks. That's what we had to do because we had no place to worship. But in the aftermath of that storm, what God did was amazing. Do you know just a few days after the storm, our contractor showed up on our campus and set up a mobile office and started building the new worship center? Now, you have to understand, this is southeast Louisiana. This is Hurricane Katrina. All the builders stopped building in August of 2005 in southeast Louisiana. All they were doing were tearing out houses, tearing out businesses, tearing out churches. Nobody was building anything, yet God was building His church. In fact, we were a relief site for so many families in the community that would come and get supplies and food because we had trucks from all over the nation dropping off uh, supplies at our church. So we turned our church into a Costco or Walmart, and people just came through and got what they needed. And as they come, they would look and say, what are y'all doing? Are y'all building something? Yeah, yeah, we're building uh, this worship center over here. Well, how is that? Nobody's building. Everybody's tearing out. We said, well, that's just who our God is. He's a builder. That's who our God is, and many people came to faith in Christ. So what God was doing, not only was he building a building, he was building a people to put in the building. See, no matter whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's a persecution or whether it's some affliction, you can take the church, any church, when any type of suffering hits, you can take the people out of the church building. But you cannot take the building of the church out of the people. You just can't do that. God is still building His church. And so that's what I pray the Holy Spirit would deposit into your heart today as our takeaway, that Jesus is still building His church in this crisis. In this pandemic, Jesus is still building His church. So meanwhile, what are we to do? As the church, we can't be at church... So how can we be the church in this crisis? Well, I want to share with you four responses we should have to the, any crisis as the church. And we find them here in verse 10, 11, and 12 in Matthew 5. Number one, our first response should be to have more, not less, gospel conversations. Have more, not less. Have you noticed how people are being more intentional to engage with one another during this time? What an opportunity to have more, not less, 
gospel conversations. Look at verse 10 in Matthew chapter 5. For the Bible says, blessed are, the pers- blessed are those who are persecuted. Now you read that and you scratch your head. Uh, well, this is the final beatitude. This is the last one, the last of Jesus's, according to Jesus, way for us to be happy. This is the last one. And it reads, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, happy are the harassed. That doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? Or it's the blessing that nobody really wants. It's the least popular of all of them. I don't know of anybody who, who, who is picking the path of persecution, right? Few people pick that path. But this is what Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, we can't skip over this. We can't just erase it. We have to deal with it. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So what do we know about this beatitude? Here's what we know. We know it's the last one. We know it's the longest one. We know that this beatitude is the only one with an explanation, like it explains what it means to be persecuted. We know that this is the only one with a command, where we are commanded to rejoice and be glad. We know that this is the only beatitude with a direct address to you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. It's very personal and direct. We know that this is the only one Jesus repeats, like he says it twice. There's a double blessing here for those who are persecuted. So when you hear that word persecuted, I know it's almost synonymous with the word ouch, or it's an ugly word, it's a harsh word. What do you see when you hear that word? Do you see babies being ripped from their mother's arms? Do you see Christians being thrown to the lions? Do you see pastors being arrested for preaching the gospel? Do you see followers of Christ being tortured for not renouncing their faith? What image do you see when you hear the word persecution? Take the apostles, the early church leaders, for example. We have James. According to church tradition and history, the persecution he faced was he was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain by the sword. James the Less was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Andrew crucified, left hanging for three days. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul beheaded by Nero Nero in Rome. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew beaten to death with clubs. Thomas speared to death. Simon the Zealot crucified. John exiled to Patmos and died in prison. Now, we can't with absolute certainty verify these as facts about these early apostles but one thing church history and tradition tells us that none of these guys retired to a beach house right they didn't retire to a a, a vacation home in the mountains right they suffered for the sake of Christ they were persecuted in Russia today it's illegal to have a gospel conversation in public you just can't do it you can but it's illegal to do so We know in the Sudan, it is a crime to convert to Christianity. A crime. Uh, We know that in Ethiopia, the government has recently raided evangelical churches in recent years, killing many, jailing others. In Pakistan, we know that gospel conversations are outlawed as blasphemy because it is speaking against Muhammad. Uh, Sure, this sheltering in place, this isolation, this COVID-19 pandemic, this, this social distancing, it feels like we're being persecuted, right? 
And I know this isn't persecution, but it certainly feels like it. But what I pray it will do, I pray it will give us a better appreciation for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are facing persecution. All the time. It's the norm for them. This is not the norm for us, but it's the norm for them. Case in point, let me tell you about a guy. This is not his real name, but Amir. Amir is a a national in one of our countries that our missionaries are taking the gospel to. And Amir uh, happened to be eavesdropping on a English as a second language class where a volunteer from the States just went three weeks to this to Amir's nation to serve the missionaries there. It's a volunteer, uh, just like you would be if you volunteered to go on a mission trip. And so uh, this volunteer goes, and he shares English as a second language, and through the Scripture he does that. And Amir hears the gospel, and he wants a Bible. He takes a Bible, and he reads the Bible, the New Testament, three times through, and he has these dreams, three dreams about Jesus, and then he gives his life to Christ. He gets saved. At this time, the volunteer's already come back home, and he gets an email from Amir, and He can't really make it out because Amir doesn't have great English. So he lets the missionary know, I think Amir is telling me that he trusted Christ, I think. And sure enough, they connect with Amir, and he does. He trusts in Christ. Months later, his family finds out. His uncle and other family members uh, go to Amir's home, and they pull him out into the yard, and they lay in front of him a, a Bible and a Quran, and they say, listen, we want you to choose the family religion or Jesus. You choose Amir grabbed that Bible, held it to his chest, saying, I I choose Jesus. And so his uncle pulled out a pistol and made him get on his knees. And he says, again, I'm telling you, you choose the family religion or you choose Christ? And Amir said, I choose Jesus. You can shoot me. So his uncle, with a pistol pointed at his head, fired the trigger. And the witnesses say the bullet just disappeared. And so the uncle said, well, that must have misfired. Let me do it again. So he pulled the trigger again, and the bullet disappeared. And then everybody there is screaming and terrified. They think there's some kind of evil spirit involved here. And so they just scatter. And so people in the village start hearing about this Amir. And they said, we want to know who your God is. Who is this God that you... So many people started coming to faith in Christ. And then Amir's uncle tracked him down again and took his Bible and just ripped his Bible up. Tore it up in front of him. And then his uncle fell ill, was in the hospital. And Amir's uncle, the one who tried to kill him requested Amir to come see him, so Amir went to see him, and the uncle said, I think I'm under a curse because I tore up a holy book. Could you pray for me? Could you forgive me? And Amir said, sure, I forgive you, but you don't need me to forgive you. You need your creator to forgive you. You need Jesus to forgive you. And so his uncle got saved, and then his dad tortured and persecuted Amir and continues to do so till to this very day. Yet the church is exploding. Why? Because Jesus is still building his church. Even among the persecuted, Jesus is still building his church. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 10. We really have to understand what this persecution here is all about. Notice he says, for righteousness sake, for the sake of righteousness, for blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We have to understand what persecution is. We can do that by understanding what persecution is not. So persecution is not consequences of your sin. That is not persecution. Persecution is not hostility you receive for being crude, rude, ugly, and vulgar and offensive. That is not persecution. Persecution is not you being burnt because you're playing with fire. Look, if, if, if you don't wear deodorant, don't claim persecution if nobody wants to sit next to you. That is not persecution. 
If you don't get the promotion at work because you're lazy, because you show up early or you show up late and you leave early because you complain and grumble and don't work hard, you don't claim persecution when you don't get that promotion. Just don't, that's not persecution. The persecution here is very specific. It is hostility we receive for standing by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That is, for righteousness' sake, this is persecution. I saw a man this past week. He was wearing a medical mask, and he had it under his face on his neck. And as he he wore this mask, I immediately saw him and thought, okay, he's trying to keep the coronavirus germs away. I get that. But while he had the mask under his chin, he was smoking a cigarette. Really? See, persecution... If, if we think about it this way, generally speaking, it is not the trouble we bring upon ourselves from unwise choices. There is some risk associated with smoking, and that can bring trouble on yourself, right? But, but also, persecution is not uh, testing positive for coronavirus. That's not it either. The persecution Jesus is referring to is those who face hostility for standing on the truth. Here's how Jesus said it, 2 Timothy 3.12, or here's how Paul said it. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And notice verse 10 again in Matthew 5. For righteousness sake, look at the end of verse 10. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? This tells us that persecution is the birthmark of a believer. That it is proof that you belong to God. It is proof that you're a part of the family of God when you face persecution. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11, Jesus gets very specific on what it looks like to be persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you. That means when they fire verbal insults at you and assault you with verbal insults or mocking you or demeaning you or defaming you or heaping insults upon you. Blessed are you when you're unjustly treated, when you're abused is the persecution. Blessed are you when people utter all kinds of slander and false accusations against you. For example, the early church. The early church was accused of cannibalism because they did what Jesus told them to do. They took the bread and Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And so the world accused the early church of cannibalism because they did what the Lord told them to do in remembering his death. The early church was accused of having immoral practices and and orgies. They, they, They called them agape feast. And agape means the unconditional love of God. But the world took it and twisted that and accused them of something they were not doing. The early church was accused of splitting families as some in the family would come to Christ and some would not, and it would divide them. And they were accused of that, splitting the family. They were accused of setting Christ above Caesar, and of course they did. And they were were persecuted through that way. See, persecution is not something we seek out, but we shouldn't be surprised when persecution finds us. Don't let it surprise you. You said if they persecuted me... They're going to persecute you. Blessed are those who value being right with God and helping other people get right with God above all things. You can sum up the final beatitude in that way. Listen to it again. Blessed are those who value being right with God and help other people get right with God above all things. 
So that means we have to have more, not less, gospel conversations. I mean, how do you think the church has ever been persecuted? How do you think followers of Christ have ever faced persecution? You know why? Because they can't help but speak of what they have seen and heard. They can't keep quiet. They can't keep silent. If they kept silent, they wouldn't be persecuted. So we must share. We must speak up. Have you noticed how many different kinds of people are testing positive for this virus going around? I mean, athletes, royalty, actors, men, women, young, old. COVID-19 is no respect of persons. Zero. So people need to hear the gospel. So we've got ample opportunity to share it. So use this COVID-19 as a conversation starter. It's a great conversation starter is COVID-19. But turn the conversation to the gospel. Turn it to the, how do I do that? Here's how. You need to pray. Ask God to give you opportunity. You can still share the gospel six feet away. Okay? You can still do that. You can still communicate six to ten feet away and be cautious and safe about it. So pray for those opportunities. Wake up and pay attention to the opportunities when they come and speak up and explain the gospel and invite people to trust in Jesus. This is what we must do in response to this crisis. Have more, not less gospel conversations. Number two, our second response should be this. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Look at verse 12, the first part of it. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Look back at the end of verse 11. On my account. I love how Jesus does this in verse 10 and 11. If you look at verse 10, he says, blessed are those. In verse 11, he replaces those with you. Blessed are you. In verse 10, he says, for righteousness sake. He replaces in verse 11, on my account, for righteousness sake, in verse 10. So he's getting very personal. On my account, Jesus says, blessed are you when you face on my account. You need to rejoice and be glad. So we need to rejoice in Jesus. Do you understand that one of the few things that we know we're doing on earth, that we're going to do in heaven, is to worship and to rejoice and to praise the Lord? So we've got to make a choice right now to rejoice even if you test positive for COVID-19 then make a decision now to rejoice it's a decision you make so you make it make the choice to rejoice now we don't rejoice about this crisis but we rejoice in Christ sure we don't rejoice about our mess we rejoice in Messiah yeah we don't rejoice about this virus We rejoice in Jesus. Hey, do you know we can't brag on Jesus too much? Do you know that? (laughs) Because we can't brag on him enough. We can't exaggerate our God. I I, I read this week that Disney World is is closed for even even more time. Until further notice, I think it said. They're, They're closed. And a lot of people, when they go to Disney World, they rejoice. I mean, they get excited. It's the happy place, I've heard so many people say. Uh, we, we went to Disney World years ago as a family, and the Magic Kingdom was magical. So magical that Belle forgot about Bee, and uh, we lost Bee in the park. Didn't realize we lost Bee till we got back to the hotel, and she's frantic, wailing about Bee. And so I, I get on the phone with Lost and Found. I, I got intimately acquainted with Disney's Lost and Found. 
And so I talked to them. I said, do y'all, has a bear come in? They said, no, no bears come in. Check back with us. And I call every hour. And they said, maybe one's come in. You come in the morning uh, in person, and we'll see if this is your bear. I said, great. So I get on a bus. And the lady on the bus was just so excited to tell me that 90% of items that are lost in Disney World are found. 90%. That's pretty good. Little hope in that cool January air. So we go to the Lost and Found. I got to tell you, when I walked into the Lost and Found office, it has this feel. It feels like a, a, a place where irresponsible parents are held accountable. That's what it feels like. And I was standing by about three dads, and one of them looked at me and, and asked me, said, what are you in for? And this security guard behind the desk, I mean, you, she would say next and and and. and Dads would shamefully shimmy up to the desk, and she'd just grill us. I mean, it's like interrogating us about, how do I know this is your item? She asked me, does the bear have a birthmark? How how do I know this is your bear? How do do I know this belongs to you? I mean, it was like being cross-examined. And after that, she walked back, came back with B. I was so excited to see this B. They found B. And so it was great to reunite Bell with B and B with Bell. What What a great day that was. And I got to thinking about that. 90% of what's lost is found. Do you know that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me? Do you know that? That 0% of people will get to the Father that do not come through the Son. Nobody gets to heaven. Nobody gets to the Father unless they come through Christ. But 100% of every soul that puts their faith in Jesus is going to get to the Father. They're going to get to heaven. Man, that is reason enough to rejoice. Maybe that's why Jesus says rejoice because your name is written in heaven. We need to rejoice in Jesus. Here's the third response we need to have as we navigate through this crisis as the church. Number three, we need to hope in heaven. Hope in heaven. Verse number 12, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Have you noticed all these credit card companies, all these uh, businesses, uh, airliners, uh, grocery stores, all different kinds of businesses will ask the question, hey, are, are you, have you joined our reward program? Are you a part of our reward program? Man, what a gospel conversation starter that is. Man, if you're not, say, yeah, tell me more about that. And when they tell you more about it, then when they're finished, you ask them the question, have you joined Jesus' reward promise? Have you joined that? Do you know anything about Jesus' reward promise? And then share, that's exactly what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He went and asked the woman, give me a drink. And then he said, if you know who asked, you'd ask me for a drink. She said, you don't have anything to draw with. He said, let me tell you about this water I've got. All right, what an opportunity to start a gospel conversation. See, here's the reality. On earth, on earth, church, we are working for and we're waiting on our rewards. That's what we're doing on this earth. We're working for and we're waiting on our reward program to earn some rewards. And we're working for and waiting on rewards on this earth. But do you know that in heaven, according to Jesus, in heaven, our rewards are waiting on us. Man, that'll get you fired up. Will it not? Hope in heaven. I, I, was, <laughs> I was reading the other day, came across this account of some friends who were, who were hanging out. Uh, probably if they were hanging out now, they'd be hanging out on Zoom. So many Zoom meetings. Man, I've had so many Zoom meetings. I feel like Lightning McQueen. Just so many Zoom meetings. 
Well, they were having this conversation one day. It turned to death. You know, they're talking about death. And the question was, what do you want said at your funeral? So the first friend said, well, if I want, what, I really, what I really want said at my funeral is, is he was a great humanitarian who cared about his community. The second friend said, well, if I really think about it, what I want said at my funeral is something like this. He was a great husband and father, an example for many to follow. The third friend thought a little bit more about it and said, well, if somebody was going to speak at my funeral, this is what I would want said. I would hope that someone would say, look, he's moving. Life after death. Everybody wants to know somebody who's experienced life after death. They want to know about life after death. Well, Jesus points us to the future. And I notice what he does. When he says rejoice and be glad, he's talking about the present. Then he points to the future. For your reward is great in heaven. Hey, in heaven, we will move better than we've ever moved before. We won't stop moving when we die. We'll start moving when we die in that place called heaven for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. See, in heaven, there are no ventilators. Not one. No hospitals. No uh, hip surgeries, back surgeries, knee braces, none of that. There's no uh, bad backs. There's no hindrances, no doctors. Well, there'll be some doctors who are saved, but they won't be practicing up there because there'll be no need for it. There'll be no sickness, no virus. Just Jesus, man. Just Jesus. Hope in heaven. Number four, endure to the end. Last part of verse 12, we see Jesus says it like this, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, hey, we need to endure to the end. You think about the list of prophets that came before us. I mean, you go all the way back to the very first family. Go back to Abel, persecuted by his brother Cain, killed by Cain. So you got Abel. You can go from Abel to Noah to Abraham to Joseph to Moses to Samuel to David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, John, all the apostles. Man, what a list. You can go read about them in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, men and women followed the Lord with their life, with their lips, with their heart. They endured to the end. In fact, Hebrews tells us that they had their minds set on a new city, a heavenly one, the new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven. And now, Hebrews 12, the author tells us, we are surrounded by these witnesses. As we run our race, as we endure to the end, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In fact, the Bible says it like this, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance, endure to the end. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured to the end, despising its shame. Jesus only died on the cross. He was raised from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the grave. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of Almighty God. Listen, Jesus was persecuted. He was persecuted in your place and in my place. He died for your sins and my sins. He endured the cross for the joy you that was set before him, despising its shame, being raised to life. This is the gospel. This is the message that can set you free and qualify you to run this race. 
The only way you're qualified is God qualifies you when you put your faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. So I want to invite you to do that right now. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put the number up here as it's on your screen for you to respond to the message today. But I'm not finished. I've got something I want to share with you in just a moment that you may not believe. It seems unbelievable. But before we do that, I want to ask you, if you've trusted Jesus today as yours, would you text the name Jesus to 423-440-8555? If you would like prayer today, listen, I know the Olympics are canceled. They're canceled, and all the filled-up stadiums are canceled. But I've got news for you. This great cloud of witnesses and the race we're running will never be canceled. It'll never be canceled. And so you run your race. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So if you need prayer through this race, you got a question about our ministry, you want to take the next step in your race and say, yes, I want to be baptized. Whatever it is, you let us know. Text us. We want to hear from you. We want to connect with you. So do that now. Through the rest of our time together. Now, what I'm about to share with you, again, just seems unbelievable. One of our church members this past week, now the story of how this information got to me is fascinating in and of itself, but to just sum it up, a church member this past week brought to my attention that this is not the first time that this church, Red Bank Baptist Church, has left the building. In 2011, you celebrated 100 years of ministry as Red Bank Baptist Church. And as a part of that centennial celebration, you produced a 10-chapter book titled Honoring Your History. And on page 31 of this book, we read, and I quote, By 1941... Red Bank Baptist Church had already outgrown the Sunday school wing built in 1937. Once again, a committee planned for the addition of another floor above the relatively new one. Those new sections of the church facility, however, were not in use for seven weeks of the summer of 1941. A polio epidemic. A polio epidemic that had started in the United States in 1916 was steadily making its way across the land. By 1941, Chattanooga officials felt it necessary to limit the effects of this disease, which was spread by the following, direct contact, flies, animals like cats and dogs, So one way to do this was to close churches. However, throughout those seven weeks of August and September 1941, the Baptist Hour, a radio program, the Baptist Hour, was broadcast over radio station WAPO here in Chattanooga. Chattanooga pastors had found a way to reach their congregations across the airwaves using that same radio station because they could not gather in person. Each of the Chattanooga pastors gave one 30-minute radio talk during that seven-week time period. 
through his message entitled, A New Testament Church, Reverend C.M. Pickler, he was the pastor of Red Bank in 1941, Reverend C.M. Pickler, our chapel here on this campus is named Pickler Chapel after Reverend C.M. Pickler. Uh, This is what he said in his sermon during that polio epidemic. He said that the Great Commission is God's definite program for our churches. And if a church goes beyond this instruction, it goes beyond its authority. If it leaves off part of this, it is failing Christ. Reverend Pickler's life passion, his leadership, his vision for Red Bank Baptist Church in 1941 was this, and I quote, to point the way to Christ. To point the way to Christ. Did you hear that? (laughs) To point the way to Christ. May I point out that here we are 80 years later and God has led us to name our second English-speaking campus the Point Church at Signal. But may I point out that here we are 80 years later and God has led us to adopt a vision of pointing people to Jesus one conversation at a time. May I point out that 80 years ago, this church was led through the polio epidemic by a pastor whose vision was to point the way to Christ. May I point out that 80 years later, this same church, Red Bank Baptist Church, is being led through the COVID-19 pandemic by a pastor whose vision is pointing people to Jesus one conversation at a time. But may I point out that the passion of Jesus, the last week of his life, his his suffering, his torture, his crucifixion, did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that Paul's imprisonment did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that the persecution of the prophets before us that Jesus we just read in Matthew 5 verse 12 did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that Pontius Pilate did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that the pierced hands and the pierced feet of our Lord did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that the Pharisees' pathetic plan to seal Jesus' tomb did not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that the powerful gates of hell cannot and will not stop Jesus from building his church. May I point out that there has been no pain, no pestilence, no persecution, no plague, no poverty, no prosperity, no politics, no political parties, no toilet paper shortage that has ever stopped Jesus from building his church. May I point out that there's no press, there's no CNN, there's no Fox News that will ever stop Jesus 
from building his church. May I point out that there's no polio, not the polio from 1941 that has ever stopped Jesus from building his church. And since there's been no polio, not even the 1941 polio that has stopped Jesus from building his church, we can know that there will be no pandemic. No pandemic in 2020, no pandemic in 2040, no pandemic that will ever stop Jesus from building His church. So church, it's time to rise up. It's time to raise your voices up. It's time to raise your hands up. It's time to raise a hallelujah to our all-powerful God. Raise a high. 
Oh, so.